to the sample hour. It's been a long time. It's going to be a lot more consistent. I know I've said that before in the past. I know I've also said that before in the past, but I don't feel like I'm surviving in this business anymore. So real quick, this is the show with Michael Jordan. We, Him and I started BSing and uh, started talking before we were necessarily kind of ready to talk. So um, it kind of goes right into the show. But just wanted to say him and I are looking to do some live streaming. I'm probably going to do it on BitTube. Not sure if you guys have heard of BitTube, but you should check it out. It's a great service. We're going to earn some cryptocurrency, too. That's right. Still in on cryptocurrency because it's, uh, yeah, it's still around. So, anyways, um, switching up things. There's no more affiliates. Announcement. No more affiliates. Value for value network. If this podcast is worth $1 a month to you, please sign up on Patreon and give me a dollar a month. It's $12 a year. So if you don't think this show is $12 a month, don't listen. It's totally cool. Or $12 a year, don't listen. It's totally cool. Anyways, hope you guys enjoy this show. Michael Jordan. <laughs> Just keep going. I'll do an intro later. Well, <laughs> well you know, it's, it's I like when people say, you know, you, you throw great events, yeah, but to throw an event and to participate in it is freaking a lot of work, man. Uh, there's the there's days and, and weeks of prep beforehand, and then while you're while you're there doing the event and everything, you know you're you're making sure facilities work, you're making sure the food's good and fresh and not spoiled, you're making sure people are, are having a good time and the liquor's flowing. Uh, and all the time, there's things that happen. Uh, the delivery guy's late for some of the product. Uh, people have ran through a fence, and you've got uh, a fence down now. Uh, you know, the, the well's out. Now there's no water, nowhere for people to shit. You know, it's just uh, there's all these little dilemma things that pop up for people that, that hold these things that make things go perfect all the time that I don't think people catch or even see. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know, um, I don't know. I, I prefer to not just participate at an event. I prefer to help run it. I don't know. Maybe it's an ego thing, but no, I definitely understand the stress you're, you're talking about, man. I've been, been there multiple times. It's, uh, it's stressful or, you know, the AC goes out in a facility and it's hot as balls and you got comics that are complaining and then people that are complaining and then, you may or may not be selling beer in a gray area at a private party or a private event that you might not have a license for. So then you think the cops might come in, so you have to, to hide all the beer. <laughs> not saying I ever was a part of anything like that. I'm just saying it's stressful. <laughs> uh, I, would, I wouldn't know anything about harboring an event with illegal liquor no way no way no so speaking of which uh i did finally start to edit the uh podcast we recorded when i went out there well i haven't started to but it's next in line i started uh coming back and recording podcasts again i felt like i needed to uh take a little break and kind of reset myself man well yeah you know you your 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 pod just passed away and you know, it's you've been on the road doing quite a bit of things. I'm sure it was a, a little bit of adjustment. Yeah, I think so. The season just started up, figuring out what um, 
what I hate most about busy season and how I can change my business and try to get myself out of my business so I have like more time and freedom to go out to be events like the one that Daniel Freeman had or you know stuff like that how was uh the Freeman family farm event this year it was good I I was only able to stay for like two days out of it because of, of my schedule and what I was doing but uh we got to see tommy cakes tom Dahmers. tom how yeah. is tom Dahmer? i haven't talked to tom Dahmers in a while um he's crazy is he crazy yeah he's crazy cool man <laughs> right, he, he just uh man he just likes hanging out he's a nice he likes dude. uh man he just likes hanging out he likes talking about uh projects that everybody's doing that are uh I wouldn't say regenerative or anything ag-related. I'm saying like um, inspirational projects. Yeah. Like, uh, what, what what are your favorite things to do for a hobby? And you know, somebody will say, uh, you know, I, I like uh, forging metal. And he goes, Oh, what do you mean? And next thing you know, uh, we had a forge class going, and the guy was making tomahawks out of car springs. And giving them to the kids. I mean, he was forging a tomahawk. I mean, and welding them with a old-fashioned cowboy split welding with a forge. And he made tomahawks for the kids. And I mean, they were they were good quality tomahawks, man. Something that you know you broke a handle on it, you could put another handle on it and go right back to chopping and doing stuff with. They were they were just phenomenal. And Tom was just that type of guy, like, oh, that's you know. Very enthusiastic. Wants to jump in. Enthusiastic. Uh, just a good guy to talk to. He was. It was a good guy to talk to. That's good, man. I. Uh, I need a. I need to call him. I haven't called him in a while. But Tom, you haven't called me either. I don't even know if Tom still <laughs> listens to the show. I don't know if a lot of people still listen to the show because I don't put them out. Well, I put out like one a week. Sometimes every other week. It all depends. Uh, you know what? It only, I don't think it's about how many shows you put out. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that say this is episode 4,000, man. We've been going for more than 10 years strong, you know. And uh, You know, there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of vlogs now. Uh, video blogging, I think, is the hottest thing right now. But it's so fucking get... trash most of the time, man. Sorry to... It, it, it's, it is. It is. And there's so many podcasts that are absolute garbage, too. And it's like, man, I don't want to just put something out every day because all the experts say you need to put something out every day. Um, yeah, uh, totally. You want a quality product that people want to sit down. And the one thing I've been learning about, you know, I, I participate in a lot of events and a lot of people's talk shows, a lot of television shows. And the one thing that I think people really understand is that when you do something, you're only going to catch people for 10 minutes. So get your content and it's basic stuff out there in the first 10 minutes. And then if people like that, as you drift through, say, you know, there are seven different topics in here that we'll be covering. You know, like uh, that's what you should say at the basic first is, you know, we're going to be covering seven topics. Get right to the point. We're going to talk about wicking beds. We're going to talk about aquaponics. We're going to talk about the types of fish to use. We're going to talk about the types of culture to use, the type of lighting, indoor and outdoor. Right? You hit your seven basic topics. 
you cover a good intro for it, and then people are like, you know, yeah, you know, I'll probably want to hear the whole thing. If they didn't, at least you captivated them for the first 10 to 20 minutes, and at least you've got a, 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 a listener, somebody that's like, well, you know, you know, add some good content. I, I tune in every once in a while, check out what's going on. Every once in a while, he's got great content, but most of the time I catch the first 10 to 20 minutes, and, you know, I got some stuff I want to look into. I think that's what people are really getting into, like I said, about vlogging is that people are showing 10 minutes of something that they're doing and it's giving somebody a bright idea that, boy, I better look into this because this is going to be something I might like or this is hot. Yeah. And I think that I think that's what you need to do is is first 10 minutes. Tell them, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about mead making. We're talking about cannabis. We're going to talk about bees. We're talking about aquaculture, you know. You get that out there, and if people aren't involved, at least they heard the first 10 minutes, and then they go, it's something I'm not into. If it's something they're into, they're going to go, man, he, you know, I'm, I'm going to listen to this. He's got he's got some topics that I really want to get into. But I think if you write your first 10 minutes to captivate your audience to where they want to listen to the information, you do so much better than just throwing out, today we're going to be doing some woodworking, and this is our lathe system. I mean, uh, I try to do my YouTube videos for 52 Me's in the Year on that concept that, man, I've only got 30 minutes to try to get everything that I want into this thing without losing you. But I want it to not only be entertaining, but I want it to be informational to make you think, to, you know, outside the box, to try some stuff on your own, to see what you think about some of these things. Yeah. Um, I was going to. Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. I, Man, I don't really have anything. I have not crossed that path to say, hey, this is what I'm trying to teach you. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I'd rather just have a conversation with someone. Like for me, it's not like it's, it's more so, it's not about getting views or, or getting what I have to, I don't know. Maybe it should be about getting what my guests have to say out there. I think for me, it's more of like a release make sure like i want to i want to listen to people and hear what they have to say and stuff with with my show but i don't know i mean rich and i we do so much stuff around here we probably should put some stuff out but i think we're there's still a lot of infrastructure we're trying to update and um and also we're hey, still, that's that's beautiful yeah that's beautiful because remember when you came uh i was just finishing tearing down infrastructure because i jumped into stuff Right, it didn't have a good fundamental foundation to build off of, and then it was, you know, yeah, it works. But you know, if I would have had a little bit better design and really put some craft into it instead of crafting it, yeah, that would have been so much better in the long run. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Well, we don't want to time. We don't want to force things and walk and, before running. <laughs> correct. Yeah, and it's easy to get into small scale ag and think, oh, I'm just going to run away run right away and I need this return immediately. And I, I don't think agriculture works that way. And I think that because you are working with nature, I think there's some businesses where you can jump in and you can make money pretty quick. Um, but you know, I, I don't think, I think people, you know, I, I used to be a victim of that mindset of, Oh, well, I want to get a I want to get in and make money. That was my attitude the first year. Like I need to replace my, my current corporate job, America income right now. And it's <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. And even if I could replace it, you get to the point to where, you know, and Greg Burns and I have talked about this quite a bit. Like Greg's like, well, these are how many pigs I'd have to run 
I don't think I want to run that many pigs. And I think it's, um, so I see. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah. And I think like for me too, I, I think the microgreens business is is the the money maker here like there is some crops like i'm I'm cutting and selling weeds um they're not even weeds it's just a bed where you know some garnish grows and i kind of like it it's more of a passive system but we're running out of space with microgreen waste um you know rich rich wants stuff to look tidier which i don't blame him i think the tidier it looks the better it is i mean we have all these raised shirts that we're not using and yeah, we need to get stuff going, but I think that, you know, things are going to happen with time. And I think, you know, I, 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 we probably could slave away in the yard trying to make it look perfect. But, you know, I, I think if you try to force a design, you're going to miss something and you're going to, you're going to have to come back. So I think him and I, we, we, you know, we're still balancing each other out. I think we're, we're going to get some chickens here because man, it's a good, I don't think we have to feed them with the hundred trays of microgreens we're going through a week. So it's, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's just a stage, but then eventually, you know, I, I don't like paying, you know, 500 bucks to, uh, you know, every six weeks to get more soil. So it's, you know, we need to get in a position to where we can compost our, our, microgreen waste and, and have a system down to we, we where we're making our own soil. Um, and just continuously, you know, recycling it. Um, so right now we're just building a bunch of raised beds. And then I think the chickens will solve a problem too because we'll have a food source. But again, man, we're still, I'm still buying a lot of inputs. And uh, and I think that's, you know, that's something you got to account for. Um, oh, most definitely. Uh, you know, business and money management and marketing are different. I don't think people get that. Uh, uh, Rob Kaiser asked one time, he goes, uh, what's your time worth? And I said, uh, $600 a day. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I need to make $600 a day. He says, that's what you, that's what you make a day. And I said, that's what I make a day. Every day I make $600 a day. Some days I make three grand in one day. That means I don't have to work for four days. Because I made enough to accumulate what I want for 600 I based my life on $600 a day. That this is so much for savings. This is so much for accumulated wealth. This is so much for house repair and remodeling. And this is what we live on, right? So I think when you talk about like business and you talk about, well, I want to quit my corporate job and stuff. Well, what fundamentally, what do you got to live on? You know, nobody wants to work. No. Everybody wants to play, yeah. right? Everybody tells you, make your play your job. But, you know, if you play too hard at your job, you, you fire yourself because you're like, fuck, I didn't want to work. At, you know, I wanted to play. I didn't want to fucking go to work, <laughs> right? So, I mean, it's one of those things that what do you need to accumulate wealth and what do you need to accumulate what we call a living aspect? Because, you know, I, I hang out with friends, man, you know, they live paycheck to paycheck. And they have great lives. You know, when they get into their 80s and stuff, I'm sure they're going to have a hard time trying to live on the Social Security system and the Medicare that they've accumulated because they live paycheck to paycheck. But, you know, one guy's a seasonal construction worker here. He works six months out of the year, and the other six months he's off collecting unemployment. 
so he works for six months straight. I mean, straight every day for twelve hours a day. He doesn't take any a, time off. Is there a helicopter yeah. near you? Yeah, I just uh, by right by the uh, uh, F.E. Warren Air Force Base. Nice. I just uh, yeah. I just thought I'd say that. But anyways, keep going. So he works. Uh, you were saying something about six. Well, he works six months on and six months off. But like six months he works, he works twelve hours a day for six seven days a week. Yeah. He doesn't take any time off. But in the winter time, you know, this cat, man, he doesn't even have a house. He lives in a, 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 a it's not even, it's like a little pull behind trailer that he built for his car. Right. So he just lives in, in, in that when he's working construction because he's doing road construction here. He's working at a power plant there. He's, he's in, he's in, he's got a good construction job. He's a, a welder. But when he's, when he's off in the wintertime doing what he's supposed to be doing, the dude's in Iceland. He doesn't need a house. He's, you know, he doesn't pay any rent. He, he, he doesn't have nothing. So he just goes and stays in Iceland for like three, four weeks. They say, where do you stay at in Iceland? He goes, you know, uh, you run into people. He says, you find like little bed and breakfast. Uh, you're drinking at a pub. Next thing you know, you're partying at a house until two, three in the morning. You pass out. Did you need rent? No, I, I just got up. I did a whore bath. I was back out on the town seeing the sights and all their all their stuff, you know, and he, you know, it's, it's a, it's, is it a glamorous life? No, but the guy's been to 47 different countries in the last five years. It's fulfilling for him. Fuck yeah. You know, he, he says, man, there's not a place you can go in this, in, in Europe and Germany on it without using a train. He says, get on a train. You can go anywhere. You know, you can stay any place around there. He says, it's the greatest tour you ever take is to go through Germany and Deutsch and, he says, man, take the train. He says, it's cheap and you can see the world. Yeah. And, you know, hell, public transportation actually is is the shit. Uh, I, I don't care what anybody says. Feel free to ride your local bus sometime. See what it's like to be with the people around that actually travel on it. See what they have to deal with. Uh, your average drive to work is probably 20 minutes. This guy's drive is an hour and a half one way now because he's on a bus. It makes stops. He sees different derelicts, interesting people, sometimes the same person, same route for the next three years, becoming friends and partners. I, I think a lot of people miss the, the aspect of what uh, public transportation really has to offer. It does take a little bit more time. You are packed on a carnival ride, you know, but I mean uh, – I mean, God, what do you really want? Do you want a Mercedes Benz? Do you want payments? Yeah. No way. I think, I mean, that's, I know, I know, uh, my mentor, uh, his, his, uh, his name was, uh, God damn it. Um, I met a God damn it once. He was a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, trying to think of his name. It's off the top of my head. God, he was out of Sand Springs. He taught me beekeeping. And the one thing he always told me, he said, you know, when, when it comes to making money, he said, uh, some people charge by the hour and some people charge by the product and some people charge of what they think they're worth. He says, when it's come to making money, he says, whatever it costs to do that project, you have to make twice that. He says, so it doesn't matter what you do. If you can't make twice of what it costs to make the product, don't do it. Yeah. He says, because once you got to pay for the product and then you got to pay for yourself. 
So if it costs you $10 to make it, you're not charging $30 to sell it. You're not replacing the product, you're not paying yourself, and you're not making growth. So that's business. I mean, that's the easiest formula for business. When it comes to life and sustainability, he said that's different because your living expense and my living expenses are different. Your kids going to college and my kids out of college is bearing to you and not to me. He says, so those things are all different when it comes to what it costs for us to make money. Uh, when you're doing infrastructure for your farm, it's about a farm is different than a, uh, a construction company. Because a construction company, you can base your construction company's worth out of, well, we've got three tractors. They're worth this amount. We've got a couple trucks. We've got a building. And we pay this much rent. And this is the employees. And this is what it costs for us to view them. And this is what it costs. When you're talking farming, uh, implement weather can screw you all day long. doesn't matter if you have tractors or not. <laughs> you know? Right. It doesn't matter. You know, uh, farming is a whole nother animal and it takes it takes a whole different type of infrastructure to run a farm because a farm's a life. You know, you live on your farm. Yeah. Uh, a guy doesn't live for IBM. It's true. Well, at least not here. In the, at least not here in the United States. Uh, I have worked for companies that the company does live for you. I worked for Tetra Tech International when I worked for the Army Corps of Engineers. And I think the guy there, Al Sapita, was the most influential man when it came to business that I ever met. Uh, you were the most important guy in his company. You were, right? And you say, well, which guy? All of you. You're way more important than he is. And he'd tell you that. He was the coolest guy I ever worked for. He, uh, he sat everybody down after you did your orientation, and he did it himself. After he after the orientation does, he sat down. Everybody says, "I'm going to give you a 30-minute talk," and then he says, "After I give you the talk, you're going to tell me if you're going to work here or not." He says, and "That's just basically how it goes." And his 30-minute talk was about some guys that work for his company. He talked about a guy that worked for his company for only six months. His wife got pregnant. He says he was worried about his hospitals and how he's going to get a hold of her and all this stuff. And he says, I finally went down to the job site and I pulled the guy off the job site and I said, I need to talk to you. He goes, I know your wife's pregnant. First baby. Congratulations, man. But here's what I want you to, want you to know. If your mind is not here at work, you're dangerous. You're dangerous for your other employees and you're dangerous with my money. He says, I need your mind here at my work making me money. So I'm sending a phone to your wife. When she dials that phone, it contacts me directly. I will make sure the ambulance is there. If the ambulance isn't there, my limo will pick her up. If the limo doesn't get there, I will call a helicopter, land it in your front yard, and get her to the hospital. I don't want you to worry about your wife. I will worry about your wife. She is my most important asset right now. Because if I control your wife, I control you. So your wife will never have a worry. I will get her to the hospital. And when you get your phone call from me, it will be me telling you, a car's pulling up, get in the car. You've got only so many minutes to get there, so your baby's going to be born. Don't worry about it. I will take care of you. Then he told about a guy that worked for him for 19 years. His son just got in a huge drug problem, got busted. And the guy was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And the guy says, you don't worry about it. 
I'm going to go bail your son out, and we'll talk later. He went down, bailed the kid out, got the kid into a rehab program, and got, and got all out. The guy says, how's my son? He goes, he's staying at this rehab program. It's all taken care of. It's all paid for. I don't want you to worry about it. Your son has a drug problem. We're going to help you fix your son's drug problem. But I need you to help fix my refinery. He says, just keep working. And he says, as we work with your son and you together, he says, we will all make my refinery better. Right? His whole motive was that if you're not here and you're not happy being here, you're not going to make me money. Yeah. And he says, here's the other thing. If you don't like what I just said, remember, my money is your money. And if you want to play with my money like it means nothing to you, you won't be here. Yeah. He says, straight up and straight out. He says, you do not respect what I'm willing to give you. You won't be here because you are the most important person in my company. And I thought that was like the most beautiful thing ever. You were the most important person in my company. And you turn and you go, what about him? And he goes, I'm not talking about him because he's the most important person in my company too. Everybody here is more important than me because if I didn't need you, I would be doing it myself. Yeah. But since I can't do it myself, I'm counting on you. I'm relying on you to make us all money. These guys' insurance is based on what we bring in. If you don't make the money, we can't pay everybody's insurance. And I mean, he was a man. He was a an inspiration. You would see him walk down the hallway, and a guy would be scrubbing the floor on his hands and knees, getting wax out of the corner. And he'd walk by and stop, and he'd walk back, and he goes, "Hello." And you go, "Yeah, yeah." And everybody knew who he was. I mean, he ran the company. Hello, hello. And he'd look at your name badge, and he'd go, "Paul." Paul, he goes, what are you doing? He goes, well, you know, we just waxed the floor over here. I'm getting the wax out of the corners. Man, what delicate, intricate work you're doing, Paul. Who's all working with you? You know, Paul, you know, Terry and Steve, you know, we're waxing the floors. Like, like, you know, making the building look nice for you. And he goes, and it looks fabulous. Do you guys need pizza tonight? Do you guys, do you guys need anything to make this go better? So you guys, you know, because you're making my offices look, man. I think people are jealous of my office because you guys do a good job. Is there any way I can get you? Can I get you something to make your night, you know, night better? It's Friday. You guys, you know, you want some beer later on? You don't want me to bring some beer? Here's a guy that would walk down and the, the most mediocre person was the most important person. And he wanted you to feel important and special in his company. That, you know, well, he bought us pizza. Oh, that's awesome. He's a cool guy. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Right? Oh, you know, my son had a problem. He, he was right there for us. Yeah, he's a great guy to work for. Why'd you quit? Because he told me it was time for me to move on. That I, out, I outgrew him. That my, my expectations and stuff were bigger than his. And that'd be the reason you left. Right? I mean, I, I worked, I, I trained underneath the guy. I got a good job uh, as a private contractor for the Army Corps of Engineers. I didn't need him anymore. You know, you know what I mean? It was a if you can find somebody to work with that with you, your job's awesome because you just you'll bleed for the guy. Yeah. The guy needs your blood to make this work. Shit, yeah, I'm gonna give it to him. Do you know what he does for my family? I'll give him whatever he needs. Uh, you know, he had a great philosophy about work, man. And I think I think if people embrace that, that would be different. <laughs> Could you imagine going to a job that you really really dug and really liked? <laughs> Absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, I can't really imagine a job that I'd really love and like that I wasn't working for me yet. But I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, one thing I think I'm what's daunting for me about like hiring somebody to do some work on the farm is I think I have to hire myself. And you don't necessarily have to hire yourself. You just have to hire somebody that is looking for some extra money and wants to work on a farm because they think it's cool. And that's like a conversation (laughs) I've been having with myself. Like, you know, what, you know, people don't necessarily want to be in like, not in charge, but responsible for everything. Because I don't don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm in charge. I just feel like I'm responsible. Oh, responsibility comes with stress, gray hair, headaches, lost sleep. Uh, you know, there's some people that are workaholics like myself that thrive on it. That God, there's nothing like the stress of knowing that something's going wrong. I hate to say it like that, but I know when, when I go to test a gas station or I'm testing an airplane wing for a C-130 or I'm uh, working on a coal yard uh, tanker truck, trying to get up at any time, this could blow up. That's why no one else is around me right now, is I'm the only one dumb enough to do this type of testing, right? It's ex- extreme. Uh, it's exhilarating. I love doing it. But the whole deal is, is that, you know, you've got just like that, you know, we talked about having an event. There's all the prep that comes before that. There's all the cleanup and stuff that comes after that. There's the bearer of bad news. It's just like telling somebody, you know, you know, that they, you got problems, you know, you know, you, this is our livelihood. This was our gas station. What do we do? You know, I got bad news, man. It's not passing. The feds are going to probably close you down. We have some work to do. You know, all that stress comes with a price. Some people see it financially. Some people see it spiritually. I think you have to take your work for what you need out of it. If it's if you're just going to work to get a paycheck, man, work at McDonald's. Right now they're paying like 14 bucks an hour with health care. Yeah, every <laughs> restaurant is hiring, and I think that's uh, – I mean, when people say there's not jobs, but I don't think a lot of people are saying that. I think it's – you know, if you don't – I think if, if you don't – I mean, for, for me, I'm trying to do the, the crappiest jobs on my farm possible <laughs> – so I can be as motivated as possible to replace it. Like Rich has been weeding a lot, and I'm gonna have to start weeding because I really don't want to do that. And Rich doesn't want to do it. I don't really want to do. I that. don't. And Rich doesn't want to do it. And honestly, I don't need Rich to do that stuff. I need Rich to like plan irrigation or to plan yeah. construction stuff or run plumbing. Like Rich, oh, yeah, you got it, Drew. Right? Yeah. I hired a guy for his technical shit. Yeah. Not if I wanted somebody to pull weeds, right? I would have hired like seven, seven-year-olds and told yeah. them, "Man, when we're all done, I'm taking you guys to Playland or some shit." Yeah. Right? right? You guys could do that, but when you hire somebody, you hire somebody because of their expertise in tech. You don't hire somebody to paint your house. Correct. You hire the guy to design the addition because hell, it's nothing for me to paint the house. I don't want something to the addition. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think so with, uh, you know, and there was a thing like uh, he had said today, hey, that basil needs cut. You know, we could cut that and sell that every week. I was like, oh, I didn't know that's why you wanted to, why you were growing it. I thought you were just growing it because you liked it. Okay, well, <laughs> I should probably plan that. You know, and I think it's, um, you know, we're, we're getting the infrastructure <laughs> in a place to where I don't have to buy as much stuff from other farmers. 
and I don't necessarily want the hassle. I like helping out other farmers and working with them to to aggregate. But a lot of times, man, it's more of a headache than it's worth, or it's it's uh, you know, I I I need I want to be interdependent in every business venture I do because I don't I don't want to have to I don't want to own a job anymore. Like I want to be a business owner and what it takes to be a business owner is um is 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 very different than what it takes to to own a job now if i wanted to to own a job um i definitely could do that and i i could just you know spend as much time as possible and say oh i'm saving money by not paying this person but you know i i like my time i like to i like you know me i like to hang out it'd be way oh. better to just be able to afford to go and hang out with you in Wyoming anytime or to go camping like like I just did. And it was cool because I, I actually sent Rich up because like I really wanted to go and have a good time and hang out. But it was more important to me that Rich go up to Michigan and hang out with a bunch of anarchists. And we got to meet like I got to meet Nick Hazelton and Prof CJ from the uh and, and mainly for me, I got to meet people that I knew listen to my show, which was a lot more interesting to me than pseudo internet celebrities. And uh, which I'm not saying these guys were, but they have, you know, they have their own audiences. It's it's a very. Uh, yeah, I was listening to your think tank guys and stuff, right? Yeah. Totally nothing I was into. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're in, their diff- they're in a whole different genre than I am. They're, they're thinking of different things than I am, right? I'm. But it was interesting to listen to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think I don't think people get that. Uh, there's I take everything in world in the world of three. Yeah, you can either take this as an experience of entertainment, you could take this as an experience of education, or you could take what we call knowledge growth. Right? Because when you go to a, a superficial college, which is any university in the United States. Basically, you want to become uh, a history teacher. Right on. So you need to take two applied maths, a physical education, and you're like, but that has nothing to do with me teaching history. (laughs) We know that. But we have all these motherfuckers that we have to pay. So we require this stuff for you to get your education based on our curriculum at our, you know, superficial school. I think that that has a whole whole other aspect when people are looking about education or if I'm just going to get some knowledge. Am I going to just get some knowledge on some general topics? Yeah, sometimes I I tune in and I listen to Joe Rogan, right? And that dude's got some random shit all the time. Anything from stuff I'm into, you know, such as listening to farmers talk about, you know, money and how food's produced and things like that with him to fight management and all just kinds of garbage that he gets into sometimes. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that in that level of three, if you listen to something, are you listening to it for entertainment? Are you trying to get something out of it? I mean, did you tune in just for a specific reason? Yeah, and I or think... There's so. something you listen to because, man, I like, I like, it was like Donahue. Nobody fucking liked anything he put on there, but it was entertaining. Yeah, and and I think even like, uh, so I just had the opportunity a few months back when I went out to Wyoming with you to go to the B College. Like, 
I was really into bees. I know quite a bit about bees and beekeeping because of my relationship with you. So, and then it was cool to meet the other eccentric men and women of the beekeeping world. And uh, some, some there was a scientist there talking about using a biophage to cure American fowl brood. And um, there's just a lot of cool stuff. And there, it was very very different it's very interesting to see and it's like man you know i really really think it's exciting to try to to try to work with bees but then i just remember the uh the price tag of working with bees and the hassle it's a lot of work and i don't know if i have time for that work like i think maybe someday in the future i might want to keep bees but i think i i'm i need to to focus on something that's more passive at the time However, I like talking to beekeepers. I like asking them about their honey, where they get their honey, how they, you know, what, what, um, what kind of flowers were, were, what kind of pollination that these bees usually get, or what was the the dominant uh, plant that was involved in this honey and stuff like that. Um, so it's good to know. I think it's good to to get into the to, the details of different things just to be a little bit more knowledgeable, and also if it's entertaining. Like beekeepers are. As you say, it's an eccentric person's hobby, so they're pretty interesting people. Uh, you remember that, yeah, that it's an eccentric man's sport, right? It's yeah. a hobby that that an idiot does. I don't know if it's an idiot. I mean, everybody that I meet in beekeeping sure, is pretty man. smart, but the, idi- the, 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 the <laughs> idiot part about it is that you just keep dumping money into it, and sometimes you don't have to dump any money, and you think you got to figure it out, and then all your bees die again, but as you've pointed out multiple times, the name of the game is, is kind of being able to repropagate bees versus, or knowing people that, that you can just buy and sell bees or just, buy, yeah. you know well, what I mean? Talk, well, I talked to, you know, you know, Greg Burns does bees uh, uh, up there with you guys. And like I said, and he'll tell you, you gotta be an idiot to keep them yeah. either really dumb to have them or an idiot savant that you've like, got this elusive skill to work with an insect i mean there's there's no communication uh when you work with horses eventually you develop the communication cows start learning horns that honk bells that ring because it's feed time uh dogs learn hand signals. bees you work with something that's hard to communicate with it's all about reading them so I mean, when you went to the when you came to the bee college here in Wyoming, uh, so you know the the talks went from the hobbyist beekeeper level, where it's just people that just wanted to have bees, anything from their backyard, or up to you know how do I get up to about twenty five hives that I could start doing something with, and you know, and then you talk to you know you met me, you got to meet uh, Alan Saviors, yeah, right? Alan's those the are, guy with the are, micro hives, right? The micro. Uh, no, that's Albert uh, Korpchek out of Utah that has a micro. Alan Savers was the guy that came up and that was moving uh, from Canada down in the United States and wanted to know about building an industrial beehive operation. Right? Oh, yeah. I, don't, I only I only know a few guys in the United States that you know. I, you know, I used to work for an industrial beekeeping operation that's different than a commercial beekeeper. I, you know, there's not many in northern america that do industrial beekeeping because of winterization of the bees and uh, up in this area because you have to winterize them 
But you know, you met that guy that you're talking about a guy that has that guy has way too much money to be playing with when he's talking about eight eighty thousand beehives. You know, oh we just move eighty thousand beehives and we won't do almonds anymore and we'll just do honey production. We'll just feed them the sugar like they do in Canada and we'll just feed them sugar. You know, that's a lot of money to you know to feed the bees and then to have eighty thousand hives alone. Uh, you know, at about two hundred fifty bucks a pop. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you could make money with it, but it's man, it's that's a lot of money to have invested into something. That's a lot of, <laughs> I mean, that's that's uh, that's a lot of money that could just fly away on you, or that could just die. I you you I I don't think uh, I don't think that's something I would. I don't. You have to be crazy. I want to do that stuff, which um, an idiot, right? You're either really stupid or you're an idiot. I mean, but if you know, either got it or you got it. Yeah. I mean, I've told you my story, right? That my investment the first time we lost, I went was you know I didn't have the right size bees to go with the right size cells. I bought uh, used bees from uh, California trafficking. I mean, I, I lost I lost hand over foot until I figured out how to. Build the population in one year, send that population to California, Washington, and then across the, uh, to the blueberry fields and back down for clover and honey. I mean, I had to get that one operation down. The one operation recovered all my money evenly, but I was already $178,000 in debt yeah. because I lost the bees. The stuff wasn't going right, right? We made it go once. And then paid everything off. You know, when you rent, when you can get, you know, uh, I think we were getting $80 per hive and we had 2,200 of them. And, you know, we were, in, we were in California and then we were into Washington and or Oregon and Washington. And then we uh, trucked them down into Texas and we did some watermelons and cucumbers there. And then I brought them back up to Wyoming for clover. And, uh, that was the one year that we did good. The second year we did the run and got out of that type of business because commercial beekeeping is hard. I have a lot of respect for commercial beekeepers. I think that they have a job necessity for them. I think the the problem I have is I have a problem with monocropping. I mean, when you were at the bee college, you could hear those people talk about, I just wish people would plant more, more, more food. Well, yeah, people, just plant more food. People say Let's you want to save the bees. Well, stop spraying your goddamn grass. I mean, there's so many wild flowers that will just pop up. Like I, I, I look at my neighborhood all the time. I mean, even thistle. I mean, there's so many flowers that are coming, or things. You're going just to gonna mow this shit down anyway. Most yeah. people, you know, your city ordinance is telling you three to six inches anyway. I mean, it's gonna get knocked the shit down if you're working with your city ordinance anyway. Unless you can verify and prove that, you know, you're taking a substitute as burdock that's a noxious weed, that's uh, brewed as a heart medication. I, I don't right? like burdock, uh, personally. Bur- burdock is a, it's a bitch to get rid of. <laughs> yeah, it is, right? They, and, you know, if and then you're not mowing the, it down uh, regularly, sticky, you can have big stickers everywhere. Yeah, I hate, I don't. But I mean, bindweed. I mean, bindweed has a decent flower, and it's in the same family as morning glories, and those are all over. Uh, there's a there's, some, but I mean, like you know, there's there's good perennial plants that um, uh, 
bushes that I know there's there's actually a lot of them north of me that Rich pointed out to me. Um uh, but I you know I think that uh just plant food. Plant man. food, just plant- yeah. Just plant food. I think that's that's the biggest deal. And and there's you know um get some flower get flowering trees. Get trees that flower and have pretty flowers. Bees love those. And but there's a new thing now where it's a, a pollinator garden. And they have them in highways and stuff like that, and it's funny because they'll, you know, they it's just they just don't spray Wait, it. Chill. They just don't spray the grass, and it's like, oh, go figure. It's a pollinator. Check garden. this out, man. I was in Holland, right, and they did a pollinator field between two uh, uh two highways. Yeah. Right. And they planted a whole bunch of lilacs, man, and the or lavender, and I mean the lavender man was huge. I think, I think. Man, they were almost six foot tall bushes of lavender that would go between the two freeways. In certain times of the year, right, they'd actually have to detour traffic out of the area because you'd kill, I mean, your windshield would be just full of bees because you drive down the freeway during the pollination of those things and those bees just getting smacked on the windshield because they're going back and forth to do those big lavender field plants between the two freeways, right? So, you have to really think about what you're doing good for them, for you, as well as, I mean, I mean, that was like, uh, the that's uh, one of the big things at the Institute here at the, at the Bee College is that if you want to have bees, be responsible for them. If you're going to be a hobby beekeeper, take some classes, manage your bees, prevent swarming, because most hobby beekeepers are inside the city limits. And the object is to minimize the swarm from traveling through and through the city to hurt other people, buildings, and infest other objects. Uh, those of you that want to do more, learn more. Uh, how to use a microscope to look for tracheal mite. How to get into building beehives like Albert's Micro Hive that's, that's phenomenal. I mean, it I love the way he winterizes it. Nah. He just yeah, like puts yeah, it in you his just house. take it in your house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just you just take that inside. Uh, you, How do you uh, split it? Well, you just you just take the cell out and you put it in another micro hive. Yeah, it's a it, yeah. They're it's they're pretty cool. Um, I you know there's a there's a cool couple I met too. I guess they've listened to the, to my show a few times. Um, I'm trying to remember their names. Redhead guy and his wife, and they do some cool urban homesteading in uh colorado and they've they collect swarms and everything i'm trying to remember their names oh adam yeah he's cool as shit yeah and man. his wife they bought a micro yeah. hive when we were there and yeah then, man uh, they uh they got uh their they had <laughs> he came to an event in colorado two years three years ago that's one of the uh, and he learned no, it was at a thing called Flappy Hat Farms, and he came to meet me and, and learn beekeeping. And I got him interested in beekeeping so hard that now he's like, he works with the, uh, the state for inspection there because they don't have any. That if you want a guy to come look, I got a guy, but we don't check for mites in the state of Colorado. But I got a guy that'll look for it, and he's one of them. So I worked that cat, and uh, the first time I met him, he was on the barter uh, bench and blanket like thing. We were doing a, a trade at Floppy Hat Farms, and he bartered for some king's mead. And uh, nine months later, 
uh, his wife was pregnant. Uh, he was like, I tell you, that is honeymoon meat. He says that, man, it was like dead on, just like you said what, what it was. And uh, ever since then, man, he's been to like all kinds of bee meetings and beekeeping things. He's a pretty knowledgeable cat and he's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy, man. He uh, and they uh, they just they're just pretty subversive with their ways. Those subversive urban homesteaders. Um, it's pretty cool though. They, they they he had some good stories about neighbors and and everything else like that. And then uh, something else was cool that was going on when I was there. The Mazer Cup. We didn't go to it, but you had some meads there. Yeah, and a we mead, did, we did. and a mead that you made. At the previous Mazer Cup, didn't you didn't you take gold in? Like you took gold and uh, you took the medal for. I took, I, took, I, took, I took a cup. You took a cup. I took the first place, I took the first place cup for experimental uh, dry meads, which you made I, there uh, the year before, right? Yeah, I ate, I made it there for their first annual uh, MMA conference for the American Mead Makers Association and uh, the Mazer Cup uh, introduction. It was their first time ever that they had like a convention where you would come from all over the world and see about uh, the types of pumps to pump honey to your vats, to the vats that you cook in, to the types of honey, to people making the products, to everything that there was about the meat business. And people came from all over the world. And there was like 70 of the largest meat makers in the world at the MMMA uh, event and that's the American Mead Makers Association in Broomfield, Colorado. They have the event during the week, and that weekend they have the Mazer Cup, which is the largest mead making event in the world. And there's, there's they they have about I think it's about a thousand to fifteen hundred applicants that that come from all over the world. They have many different uh, um, categories that you can enter in. Each category can put you in what they call an overall Mazer competition where you could win overall competition for it. Most of those are won by uh, large uh, meteries that have large clarification stations and uh, access to many cool things. But, you know, as a, a home brewer to enter, there's usually about 500 of us to 700 of us that compete from around the world to compete in that event for a Mazer Cup. And, uh, I've only entered twice. The first time I, I, uh, I got honorary mentions, but uh, it was the first time I ever entered. So this time I entered only one product. We entered our uh, Sleepy Time medicated mead that we made. At, we, we showed them how we made it. <laughs> they have a few uh, log on to the MMMA. You can buy the video and see exactly how we made it. And then the next year we entered it and we won the dry uh, experimental division for a medicated meat first time ever introduced and was made at the event before survey saw how it was made and then we took first place in the Mazer in the Mazer cut for it that's pretty badass man it, it was uh it was pretty cool I was uh it was cool to uh it was cool to to be I think because I was with you and you found out I think you found out. Alan. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah was, we were at the bee college at the time, right? And the exciting. guy says, you should see this video of your mead being introduced. And uh, the lady saying, oh, my God, it's Sleepy Time Mead by Michael Jordan. 
Because uh, the lady, when we made it, you know, we made it there at uh, Neoteric Farms and, and produced it there at Neoteric Farms in Colorado. And uh, when we went to the event and showed how everybody how we made it, we then let everybody have some so they could experience what the people that had been using it had been experienced. Because we're doing our own test thing. We don't have a laboratory. They think the best way to test it is, here, drink this and try this. And I want you to drink this amount over this amount of time and tell me what you got. Because it's made the same. The alcohol content's the same. The CBD's the same. The THC's the same. The flavors are all the same. It's always going to be the same because we make it the same every time. We get the same result every time. And we gave it to these people. And when the her name's Vicki Rowe heard about it from Got Mead. Um, she's the she's the one that hosts the Mazer. She's uh, one of the group leaders of the American Mead Makers Association. When she heard that we were making a medication mead. And we know how we learned about making infusions and stuff. Uh, she invited us to come and talk in front of the 70 of the largest mead makers in the world. It was a phenomenal experience. And then we were at the Bee College. So I took you to uh, a meadery on the way before we went to the Bee College. So you could taste like some of the stuff that was kind of like entered and what was going on. And stuff, and then we taught. We we're talking and teaching at the B College. Yeah, and that's when we got the message that we should uh, check and see if uh, if it was us that pulled out a first time at or ever medicated mead uh, for Mazer Win. It was it was pretty exciting, man. I uh, and the meads were there. They were pretty good. I I remember I had zero sleep because I uh, <laughs> I harvested everything, and my flight was leaving at like six in the morning. So I was like, I'm just gonna stay up and get everything prepped. So then all Rich has to do is deliveries. And while I was there, I got, I got more deliver. I got, I got actually, uh, my business grew when I was there because I had people, I had two different chefs call me to, to increase their orders. And, uh, that was, that was super cool. And, um, so, you know, I, I, I'm pretty, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a good time, man. It was cool to be on vacation and get calls that, Hey, we want to buy more of your stuff. And it was kind of like a, a thing that, you know, you take time for yourself, you know, you got to make sure you're taking time for yourself to reset. So I, I, man, I, you know, not to, not to get too superstitious, but it's like, you know, if you clear out that space in your head or, or, or something that's in your life, better things are going to come your way if you're heading in a good direction. And sometimes, you know, you just got to, let go and and put some trust in other people and and then uh good things come your way so business is 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 good i think then i only had six restaurants and i'm up to nine so See, that's awesome yeah i, I gotta it, get i gotta get up told to, me that you know you were going to be talking to other people about you might even have to get some more stuff involved to get some produce out yeah yeah i i um i i'm not growing much now i think we are going to plant some lettuce now um just because I got bed space, we pulled the garlic out. We actually, Rich was doing some garlic, and, he, and I was talking about scapes. And I was like, "Well, dude, if you want me to sell them, man, that's your crop. Um, you know, whatever you want." And he goes, "No, I think you know, I think we're just gonna eat them." And then uh, the chef, a random chef, calls me that I knew from previously. Uh, it's the Hungarian butcher, and now he's the main chef at Ray Ray's, which I got to take you to Ray Ray's next time you come here. 
And Ray Ray's is a barbecue joint. It's super, super good. So uh, the guy goes, yeah, come Thursday, I'll trade you some scapes for burnt ends. And I was like, burnt ends and brisket. And I was like, yeah, deal. Is that a deal, Rich? He goes, yeah. So uh, we made a nice trade. And uh, we got we got some uh, some great barbecue for scapes. And now the garlic's all out. So I think we're going to probably plant some lettuce. We still got to do some irrigation. And we got to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to focus more on garnish farming. I think there's there's more. Um, and probably I'm, I might just do some root vegetables, too. You know, I'm I'm just still trying to figure out what my market is, and I think you know I have an idea of what has my foot in the door, but what what I can get consistent crops from uh, chefs with, and you know, and and I and I'm still looking to work with other farmers to do that. Joel and I work together um, here and there. I'd like to 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 be more consistent with that, but it's it's difficult because he lives so far away. So um, I don't know, man. You know, it's 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 trying to find that happy place, that happy medium in the business to where I'm not slaving at my business. And it's something that I enjoy doing and it enjoys me. So I think, you know, it's, uh, still figuring it out, man. I think that's it. Farmer's market seasons here. I was doing a bunch of markets and I think I'm just going to, you know, I think I'm going to scale back. I, I, I don't like doing the farmer's markets and you and I had talked about just going there and showing up and, not really wor- being worried about sales and I, I can't uh i can't do that so i have to either figure out how to hire somebody else to do the markets for me or or do something else so or have just you tried doing a uh stand out in front of the house i man i the neighborhood's not quite there yet i think eventually we'll get there um i i just like to sell to more restaurants quite honestly i really like working with chefs i like uh i like you know, chefs are kind of like food artists and I like, I like to work with them. They get excited about the microgreens or they, they appreciate my customer service quite a bit and I appreciate their communication. And then we just try to be on the same page and it's, it's a lot better, man. Than I mean, I don't mind carving out a market for microgreens at farmer's markets, but it's, uh, it just gets taxing. It gets taxing to constantly have to explain to them what it is, give out samples, all that's, that's a lot of work, man. And, I don't like. Do you have any CSAs up there? You know, that's a good thought. Um, I know there's. Um, you know, I don't know about for you. I'm just saying, is there any out there? Because I'm going to tell you right now, uh, there's there's only two types that work, and the third one is the hardest one to make happen. Uh, Daniel Freeman man, uh, ran a successful uh, CNA. CSA, uh, yeah. And it's a lot of it's a lot of work. Him man, and I to make. One of I need to get him on to talk about it because he's they generate a lot of money, but he said we were working so much it sure didn't seem like that much money. And they did yeah, it in then, the early two thousands. And then you have all these other guys that do these CSAs, man, and they do the three three year roll around on the government write off that we're not making it. There was no water this year. This is such and such, and we need you know subsidy payback for trying to feed the people on these. CSA grants, right? So they file for all these grants uh, to get, you know, tie tunnels and all kinds of stuff going to grow food. And then they insure them. And then in three years, man, uh, they get like, oh, we're looking for, uh, if you want to join the CSA for produce, it's uh, $175 uh, a year. Uh, So then these people get in it, right? You know, their first year is pretty productive because the curve is pretty, you know, fertile. They use the money for the water. 
The second year, it's not so good, but everybody talks about the CSA. And everybody gets a lot of produce, you know, the second year. And the third year, right, the guy files bankruptcy, files against the grants on the insurance, and everybody's out there money that they paid like $500 on the third year because they're expecting big produce, never going to the grocery store. My kids don't need shots for schools. Huh. We're gonna save the planet. You know what I'm saying? Type yeah, attitude. Because I have a, I'm juicing carrots like a fiend. I'm orange like Billy Jean. You know. There's I a got, lot of uh, there's a lot of people out there that take advantage. Uh, you know, and I I tried to say this to Nick Hazelton when I I you've heard Nick Hazelton. He's the young kid who uh, listened to Brett Brett Finot's show and dropped out of high school and. He's a yak farmer and he's trying to build a, he's trying to build a cool team. Like he really, it was, it was good to meet him. And, you know, I was, I was telling Nick, like, you know, he was talking about his, his sales thing with yak. I'm like, well, Nick, people are going to buy you. You got a cool story already. They're just going to buy you. Just make sure that you're giving them a good product. Like that's on you. I think, yeah, it's, it's easy to, to have pe- people are coming to the farmer's market to feel good about how they're spending their money. And a lot of times they don't really know shit. They don't really understand what they're buying or anything, but they'll take your word for it. And then they can tell all their friends they bought at the farmer's market because farmer's markets are kind of like recycling. Like, you know, like people, it's a feel good activity. You feel like you're making a difference or get joining a CSA is like recycling. You feel like you're making a you difference. Don't think, do you think there's only two types of people at the farmer's market? Those that get all their produce from out of different areas or those cats that are just like, we got some produce and we're pushing it out there. We're trying to, you know, uh, I mean, kinda, you know, there's, there's people, know. there's all kinds of people there. I mean, there's people that depends on the farmer's market. Some people just go there for baked goods. I mean, there's a lot of people that go there for the best baked goods or, you know, finding my market and where I fit in. I mean, like I can, I can hustle and make a buck anywhere, but it's like, where's, where so is, you said the key thing. Where are you going to make your money from? From a business, exactly. Right? Or you're making yours from restaurant sales. That's right, man. The I mean, farmers that... market is just you plugging urban farming. Yeah, it's me. It's me trying to right? build. I mean, really, me trying to build relationships. I, I think my strategy with the farmers markets, uh, I need to change it. I like I like the Westgate one that I'm at now. Um, I do like going to Powell. Powell's cool, um, but again, it's still. It's kind of weird. Whenever I have a lot of product, there's not a lot of business. And whenever I don't have a lot of, whenever, whenever I don't have a lot of product, there's a ton of business. So I think timing it, I mean, I go to that one every other. I think the Saturday markets are good. There's a new Sunday market that's in my hood that I've thought about doing, but honestly, man, I like having my Sundays off. Like I like going to brunch with the think tank and, um, or meeting up with people or, or getting shit shit done on the farm or you know what i mean i I like my sundays i don't want to have to sell on sundays i don't you know i want to i want to i want that to be time for me so i you know even an atheist got to take a day off yeah and you know and i you know i it's my it's my holy day and i i think Uh, and it's also too man it's it's just um you know I, i i made i made my business work last year hustling at farmers markets now i have nine restaurants I make more money at the restaurant sales than I do with the farmers markets. And have you, know, you ever thought about making those restaurants say, "Hey, man, do you have a Saturday salad that you make?" There we go. Something happened there. I lost you. 
Yeah, I don't know what happened. It's it's you know how we're doing it. Yeah, I think that the Saturday salads is coming. I think that's um you know we're getting to that point. I think that that comes more with the better relationships you build with your with your restaurants. And I think you know if you first they just go to you for this and then they like you so much they're gonna try to find creative ways to work with you. And you know and, and you know and I'm trying to do that now. Um, but it's 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 difficult. So I, I you know I. It, I was really excited that my one chef at a restaurant said, "Hey, we want to work. You know, you got do you have sorrel?" And I thought he meant microgreens, and he just meant the weeds that are growing. Because a lot of people aren't hip to it, and he kind of figured it out because it was in his his yard, and it's you know you could buy it from Chef's Garden. It's like twenty four dollars for four ounces, and I was like, "Well, I'll just sell it to you five bucks a pound or twenty bucks a pound, like I do my microgreens." So I get twenty bucks a pound out of something that's um you know not even uh it's just not even something I'm, I'm i'm growing it's just popping up so i just gotta go and cut it every day so that's cool and then uh i gotta start taking that and putting it in more chefs hands and i think so it's like i want to build a market now as chefs and then eventually you know rich will have some cool perennial vegetables and now we have a place to sell it you know now now you know when when people are talking about how do we scale permaculture and make money and and you know take these these rare perennial vegetables well you have to have a market first and then you have a good relationship with a chef and then you put ideas in their head about what they could do it with or you find a flavor of something that's inspiring and and i think that's you know you put it in an artist's hands and then you let them create the work so but um hey man we've been going for a while that's an hour and this is the sample hour Michael, Ooh, ouch. anything else? I'm trying to cut these down. I think I, you know, me, Michael, I go, I, I, I'll, I'll talk to you. We, you and I will talk for four hours and we could I was just going to say, it's not you, man. It's, it's me. I, I work so much. Like, so I like to work and I have a lot of people that I work with and it's just so much fun to talk and work. And it is, you know, you know, you know how I function. So uh, I know, I do know how you function. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know. but Hey, so if people want to anything, anything you want to advertise, anything coming out, I'll, uh, try to get this out faster than normal. Um, the only thing I can say is, uh, reach out at, uh, abfriendlycompany.com. Our site's old. My daughter built it when she was 14, but we leave it up. Email us a question. Think about us. But all I can say is basically if you really want to figure out something in life, man, reach out and grab it. That's right. Don't spend your time, you know, reading about it. You're only going to learn by doing it. I spent a lot of money learning to what I did. If you want to learn it, it's going to take time and money to do it, but you have to do it. Yeah, and you you, got to be dynamic too because when you get into something, you're going to think it's going to go another way. And if you are convinced that that way is the only way, um, then (laughs) – you're you're screwed because the real opportunities slap you in the face of something else. I mean, that's why Vi- both Viagra and Rogaine were originally cardiovascular medicines. So if those people would have just been stuck on cardiovascular medicine, they they wouldn't have gotten rich. So I got a, I choked on both of those, and I got a hairy stiff neck. <laughs> well. Uh, 
if people want to follow you on YouTube, there will be a link in the show notes, and I'll have some of Michael's 52 mead videos. I enjoy them. I need to get back into mead making myself. Um, because actually, you know, you taught remember you, you came out here and taught me how, and then I had that apple, and I was making some apple sizers. Um, not the stuff that I had my my half-assed attempt that you said put honey in and i didn't and i'm i'm pretty sure it's it's vinegar by at this point because i never cold crashed it since october so right on some good apple vinegar man i'm pretty sure i have some pretty kick-ass gallons of apple cider vinegar but um i made this the an apple sizer based on i said what should i do with this and i did what you told me to do and you'd showed me how to do it before and then uh, I took it down to the Kentucky Derby um, last year, not this past year, but the one before. And these people, they're like, oh, I'm not really into to drinking. Um, and then, man, they love the flavor of that apple sizer. And, and ever since then, the friends of my friend, who I, my friends that I visited, I met some people there. All they do now is they talk about this apple sizer and they want to know when I'm going to make more and when I'm going to come down and bring more. And I'm like, I haven't made need since then and i need to i just need to get a good source of honey and uh honey's yeah, expensive, good source of honey. honey's expensive. Yeah. i need to get honey from you that's what i need to do um yeah, i get you a good deal 55 gallon drum baby i'll yeah. ship it out <laughs> we'll put it uh we'll put it in my basement we'll put it on tap here's put- here's what you can do right you can catch me on youtube just google 52 meads in a year kind of see what we do with mead makings all the way up to medical meads and stuff like that uh catch me on facebook of michael jordan on facebook the beekeeper or at ab friendly company on facebook uh we teach beekeeping and we do it for kids uh, i teach over a thousand kids from the department of agriculture and wyoming department of education Every year, we give out honey sticks and a little coloring sheet, and we educate kids on beekeeping. It's our biggest thing, and believe it or not, we are a profit organization, and we make no money. We give everything away except for the honey because that's what I use to give to a granola company to make our profit back, and whatever's left over, we sell, and we make mead with. Award-winning, drinkable mead. One day, hopefully, we have it on the market. So if you want to learn about beekeeping, mead-making, I studied permaculture. My whole object in my life was to find out how to grow a plant from the ground to make the best nectar, take the best nectar from the bees. So you had to raise the bees. You had to produce the best honey so you could make the finest meads. And that was, that's what my, my thing is, and I, I love it. And that's what I do for a living, and I love it. <laughs> I, love, I love drinking your meads. And actually, we made some delicious mead there that I was trying to – so tea beer would be different. So a tea beer – would be that but i think if you uh i think T-beer, yeah i think if that. yeah i think if you one thing you could do to market it is um i i don't know if you'd want to call it a wine beer or what you'd want to call it but i think that there is there is a market for calling it some kind of beer when it's carbonated because i think that's like that registers you in know, people's I, heads i don't know man i just all right, everyone. Well, that was Michael Jordan. Check him out. There's links in the show notes. I'm going to see if I can get him back here while he's ringing. But go to Michael Jordan. You there? Yes, sir. Okay, you were saying something. Close I said, hey, yeah, my peach, uh, the peach Bellini, man, is my favorite. It's the, like a 
peach soda pop. It's so good. Oh, you could call it, uh, man, I don't know. There's a there's a clever marketing term that's that's there for mead that I think, because when I think when most people, I think a lot of people that have had mead, some people say it's too sweet. Other people say, oh, it's too bitter, because I don't think a lot of people really know what it is. And I think that if I think there's some marketing opportunities to package mead um, in a way to where it's still mead, but like that when I tried that that peach Bellini, I was like, oh, this tastes like that tea beer that I drank, and all it is is like tea. That it used to be hard kombucha, and then they had to take out the kombucha because it was too volatile, and the 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 kegs were, um, I don't know, some stuff was bad, blowing up. Bad stuff was happening. And uh, so they they rebranded it as gluten free tea beer, and I'm sure you could do that with me too. You know, gluten free, locally sourced, all that stuff. But that's uh, that's 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 for a different conversation about the underground meadery. Um, anyways, Michael, <laughs> thank you so much for for joining me on the show. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And thanks for being my first guest for me to get out of my funk too. Oh, yeah, man. And I appreciate you, uh, Drew. I'm glad you came out to the Bee College. I'm glad you got to see the the largest cannabis growing operations, man. Oh, yeah. We ever. didn't, we didn't talk glad. about that. I forgot. We were going to. Let's talk about that real quick. We got. I, well, I don't know if we're allowed to say how we got access to it. I think that person wants to remain anonymous. Um, I'll have to go back and list the other podcasts because this person kept saying, edit this out, edit that out. Um, but they can put it together. And, uh, but we were able to go see, what do you think of big, big, uh, big cannabis? To me, it, it felt like Budweiser. Uh, I feel like the margins are really like Budweiser? Yeah. It felt like uh, Budweiser because it's not, it's like, it's, it's, it, it, you, it started out as a, a craft a multiple craft operation. There was so many craft growers and then they were trying to figure out the legal thing, and then now it's becoming more streamlined. And it's okay. What can we turn over the fastest? This needs to be certain strength. It has to have this. It has to have that. And now I think you know because it's 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 big money. It's big business. But then there's going to be a shift again where there's going to be the smaller craft because people in cannabis want to be connoisseurs and they want the 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 different strains. People want different things. And the market's going to dictate it since because even though we witnessed the, 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 the building of a, what was it, a 70,000 square foot structure that's designed strictly for cannabis cultivation, they still don't have enough cannabis for the entire goddamn state of Colorado. And they, and they, cannot, they cannot meet demand. And I think that's the most fascinating thing. Demand is in so high. Um, the prices have definitely compared to what they are in the black market have definitely dropped. You only get about a thousand bucks a pound. Um, you're on, you know, what, the, how many harvests did they say they, they tried to get a year? I think they said six cycles a year. Uh, yeah, they, well, they, 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 the, the four to six cycles a year, the maximum they tried to do, they tried to get a crop every, every, uh, I think he said every 60 days. Every sixty days, they want to be harvesting, and uh, every sixty days they're harvesting, right? The, the, the operation that we that we saw grew twelve thousand pounds of marijuana a year. Twelve thousand. That's just one facility, and they, own, and they own three of them. Yeah, and they're building one now with the 
gentleman that we talked about, right, that's supposed to be the largest one on the market, that right now that they're even going to be on the stock exchange and all kinds of stuff. So that's something when it goes, you know, but he, uh, they're building one that's supposed to grow 70,000 pounds of marijuana a year, and they're still not going to make the demand. Right, they're talking about not being able to probably make the demand for the next 10 years. That eventually between the six major growers that are in Colorado, they hope to eventually be able to make the demand that for that local area. But they figured probably in the next 10 years that it'll probably be legalized federally. And it'll be up to your states to mandate if they want to legalize it, penalize it, or do other things with it. It's like we know here in Wyoming that uh, the separation of church and state does not exist. And the Mormon influence on Wyoming is for the church and not for the people. So Damn. It'll, it'll be hard for it to be legalized here in Wyoming. Uh, we've had governors fight uh, Indian reservations on gambling because it was against their religion. Uh, you know, and you, can't, you can't regulate or govern an Indian reservation, but it was their duty to try to do what they could to influence anything they could because it was part of their, so it's our, you know, they spent millions of dollars of taxpayers' money in fighting something they could never win because of their religious beliefs. So I, it'll be hard-pressed for us to ever, probably in Wyoming, to ever legalize it. But I'm sure that, you know, Colorado right next to us is legalized. I'm Montana is right on the next line of it probably did. Uh, I'm sure Utah will, will be one of them that won't legalize it. Mormon influence. Uh, probably not Idaho either. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. Idaho is pretty big ass, Mormons. But, but, you know, New Mexico on the bottom part, I'm sure they'll probably legalize it. Oh, they, they uh, might Kansas legalize more. Legal. They have so many issues with drugs. They should legalize more. I think, you know, the sooner we get rid of the DEA, the quicker people can can stop worrying about gun violence and stuff like that but who knows what do i what do i know michael you know people i i, I don't i don't i don't think anybody should ever incorporate uh the necessity for chemical drugs yeah when i talk about the necessity for chemical drugs i'm talking everything from prescription drugs to methamphetamine all those are a highly addictive substance that changes you in every manner of Every way there is, it's, there's no natural compound derivative from it, right? It's, it's based on weight. Uh, it's an addiction. Uh, we, have, it's a, we have a Prozac nation that's turned into the opioid uh, epidemic. <laughs> Everybody's just so easier to cop out, to pop this stuff, to shoot this shit up, and to do that stuff. And uh, I get ridiculed after I say stuff like that, Drew. Because they say, well, then you make a medical cannabis mead. And, you know, uh, I'm sitting down with people that are using it that have Parkinson's disease and they're not stuttering and they're able to walk. I'm using it with people that have fibromyalgia and uh, problems with, uh, oh, even, it was even Vicki Rowe with, uh, not me, tried it, helped her back out. She has, chronic back pain uh it's helping a guy with ptsd help sleep at night uh i think it's it's not the amount of are you using it recreationally or are you using it medically because cbd has no recreational value for it even though that they just came out <laughs> even though they just came out and said uh 
Um, what did they? What did they just come out and say? They just came out and said that it's just as addictive as heroin, <laughs> and there's no addictive qualities, man. It's it's pretty funny. I think, uh, you know, I think thankfully, I I think it's it's the times are shifting, man. It's not um, it's not, you know, the 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 old conservative influence is going away. The new most of the new conservatives. Um, the new prudes actually probably still consume cannabis. So I think, uh, I, I I'm think... not worried about any of that. I know that, uh, I have some deadlines that I'm trying to make. I have a 10 year old boy that I'm trying to get when he gets into high school and stuff, we might make a decision to move and, uh, you know, look with investors to make a, a full metery based on my knowledge of beekeeping, the types of honey to use. You know, uh, recipes dating back to 906 AD from our family and using a medical product. I think that with good investment and some good time, we can make a fabulous product in Washington, in Oregon, in Colorado, in Ohio. I think you guys are a pretty progressive state. I see you guys legalizing it in the next two years for sure. It could be even in the fall based on the I – th- I think a lot of stuff's going to shift uh... – I think Donald Trump wants to get elected again federally, and I think he'd really mix things up if he uh, legalized cannabis. And I think it only, and I, I could definitely see him doing that. We'll see, though. This is all speculation. That's my prediction. Don't. Oh, I, don't, but I don't care. You already have defiance uh, within the state. Yeah. Right? You already have states that have gone against federal will and are making money from profitization from illegal gains, according to the federal government. Yeah, right, and, I, so and there's there's too much the money to be made. about it is not going to change. Yeah, and, and you know the the United States bailed themselves out with tobacco after the Civil War, and uh, we need to we need to bail ourselves out with cannabis after the 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 wars on terrorism and the endless wars on drugs that just keep draining this the draining the American people of their money with our with our high. Uh, um, influence and all that but uh i don't know i just know that when the guy told me he says we can get investors if you want to move to canada we've legalized it michael jordan we would love to have you come up here to saskatchewan and help us build one of the greatest meteries using the medical product that we've seen you win an award from and we would love to have you come to canada i would hate to have to leave my state and my country and stuff to make something that I naturally possess a skill to do. I make a that fine drink people. product. And, you know. Absolutely. Well, Michael, I think that's a good place to end. Um, everyone, please uh, support the show with Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash sample hour. Also, if you just want to give a one-time payment on PayPal, you can. Patreon's cool because you get shows before they come out in the main feed and sometimes shows that only come out on Patreon. So in all I ask is $1 a month, which is $12 a year. I think that's a that's a good deal. Uh, I, I, you know, that's a beer. <laughs> that is one beer in the state of California. I'm, just, is, I'm just saying. That is right? one beer when you go to a bar in, in the state of California. 
It's twelve dollars, and it's not even a good beer. Typically, it's probably like a Bud Light. Hey, you know what? After you said that, I should start a Patreon, and you can catch my meat making. Right? I'll teach you how to make. You actually really should start a Patreon. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. You start a Patreon, and you would, and you sell. Actually, you should have a course that you sell for people to make meads. And it's the Michael Jordan underground meadery course. And then you take people through and you, and you, you take them step by step, how to tell what good honey is. You know, there's, there's options. There's options. Uh, I think you should just catch it all, everything. I'll just give it to you all for free. No, I give it for free Drink too. responsibly. Check, check the sample out, man. And yeah. Just be, just be cool. Be kind, or man. Be kind. Oh, I saw the yeah. Mr. Rogers documentary. It made me think of you. I got I got teary eyed a couple times in it. It's um they did try to politicize some stuff. I was kind of disappointed with that. But Fred Rogers, man, what a good dude. Be kind to everybody. Um, yeah, just help your fellow man, right? Support your local your local guys that do their the hardest work. And if you're gonna, here's a great responsibility that I learned from working at the school district, Drew. Is if you're gonna be a leader, don't lead your people off a cliff. Yeah. Lead them to greatness. And if you're gonna be a follower, it's okay to follow people, but push your leader to lead you well, and just don't follow the idiot off the cliff. That's right. Don't I, be a leader. Yeah, just be. Think about being cool. Watch the things around you, and if you see somebody doing good, push them to do greatness because they could be the ones leading us to greatness and not failure. So if you see something good. Say so progressively. Don't look the bad in people. That's what you should never do. Look at the look at what people can actually do, no matter what their defeats are. Because some of my best friends that build the best houses are alcoholics. That is true. As long as they're fun and they can function, that's fine. <laughs> it's up to you. It's up to you. Be be your own master. Figure out when it's appropriate for you to lead. Figure out what it's appropriate for you to follow, but make sure that you're you're being you and the best you, you can be. Be cool, Drew. You be cool too, brother. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in.